to be here with you this evening. What a joy to hear your voices singing God's praise together. Um, I don't know about you, but um, in my own normal life, um, I live in West Springfield, Massachusetts, about an hour from here over the Massachusetts border. In my normal life, I don't know a whole lot of Christians. Uh, my neighbors aren't Christians. The people I meet in the grocery store aren't Christians. The lady that cuts my hair is not a Christian. The people who work at my doctor's office, they're not Christians. And sometimes I can go through my life and I can think, Lord, I know you have your people, but I don't see very many of them. And what an encouragement then to be in this room with all these daughters of Christ who are intent on knowing him and loving him and following him, singing his praises, praying together and worshiping together. And what a treat it is to my own soul, and I trust that it's a treat to your soul as well. So we've come here this weekend, and what we're going to be doing over the course of this weekend is we're going to be talking about Jesus. What a better subject could we have, right? We're going to be talking about what it means as women who follow Christ to experience Christ. And so, yes, um, as Tori said so wonderfully, you know, we're here to enjoy God's creation. We're here to build relationships with one another. We're here to spend time in prayer and to spend time with the Lord. And we're also here to study God's word. And so it'll be my privilege to be your guide over these next four sessions as we open up God's word and we plumb its riches to learn how it is that we experience Christ. And we're going to do this by looking at the stories of four women who encountered Christ uh, from his conception to his resurrection. And these are women who sat at his feet, as it were, women who learned from Jesus himself. And we're going to see what they learned from Jesus, and then we're going to seek to apply it to our own lives and the places where we live and work today. So we're going to be looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we're going to be talking about what it means to trust Christ. And that's what we're going to do this evening. Then tomorrow, we'll be looking at Anna, the prophetess, and we're going to see what does it mean to seek Christ then tomorrow evening, we'll be looking at the Samaritan woman, that woman that Jesus met at the well, and we're going to see what does it mean to know Christ. And then finally, on Sunday morning, we're going to be looking at Mary Magdalene and her encounter with Jesus at the tomb, and we're going to find out what it means to love Christ. So we're going to talk about trusting Christ, seeking Christ, knowing Christ, and loving Christ. And throughout this whole weekend, my hope is that we would come to know and love better the only Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ. So tonight, I'd like us to begin by considering what it means to trust Christ. If you have your Bible, if you have a Bible app on your phone, open with me to the book of Luke, the first chapter of the book of Luke. And I will be reading from the English Standard Version. You might have a slightly different version. That's okay. It's all the Word of God. Uh, some words might be different, but the meaning is going to be the same. So the book of Luke you find in the New Testament, of course, and this is um, Luke's account of the earthly life of Jesus. And we're going to be reading, starting in chapter 1, we're, in chapter 1 we're going to read from verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who, will, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Do you feel suited to the circumstances of your life? Do you feel like you're well-equipped for the role that God has given you? Do you feel suited to be that friend, the woman in your church who's struggling? Do you feel suited to speak to your non-Christian coworker about Christ? Do you feel like you're just the perfect person to be the mother of that rebellious teenager? Do you feel suited to walk faithfully in your singleness? Do you feel ready to provide care for your aging parents? Do you feel able to do what God has given you to do? Probably the answer to that question varies day by day and person to person, but I suspect that most of us in this room regularly feel like we aren't equipped or aren't ready for many of the things that come into our lives. Maybe sitting in this room as sweet as it is to be surrounded by other Christians, has refreshed your awareness of your own inadequacies. Maybe you're looking around this room and you're thinking, I bet all these other women have it together. These women seem to have a lot of gifts and graces. They seem to know the words to all these songs. They seem to know what to do when we have prayer time. Look, they've got pictures of their grandchildren on their phones. They probably don't have the complicated messes that I have in my life right? Sometimes even being around other Christian women makes us feel inadequate for the things that God has given us to do. You and I don't always feel like the Lord's calling on our life makes much sense. I have some good news for you. In the passage that we just read, we see that Mary wasn't particularly suited to her calling either. You know, when the angel first appeared to her, the verses that we just read tell us that she was greatly troubled. She had this immediate emotional response, the angel's greeting. Even before she knew the details, here was an angel, and she was greatly troubled. And then the angel explains to her what's going to happen, and she still got questions. She doesn't understand how the circumstances of her life are going to be reconciled with God's plan. She says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Think about it. Mary was a virgin, and God said, you're going to be a mother. 
She was young, and God said, guess what? You're going to disciple the eternal son. She was from this obscure town, and God called her to parent the Savior of the world. It's no wonder, right, that Mary said, how will this be? When you think about the various situations in your life, you might be asking similar questions yourself. How will this be since I'm an introvert? How will this be since I struggle with chronic illness? How will this be since my kids aren't walking with the Lord? How will this be since I didn't grow up in a Christian home? How will this be since I'm struggling financially already? How will this be since I'm not as holy as I should be? I think Mary's example shows us, sisters, that it's not wrong to ask those questions. The angel didn't rebuke Mary for saying, how will this be since I'm a virgin? It was okay for her to ask those questions, and it's okay for you to ask those questions too. It's not wrong for us to look at our situation and look at ourselves and wonder, how is this all gonna work out? But we can't stop there. As we saw in the verses that we just read, Mary ultimately concludes with a statement of faith, right? Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So how did Mary go from being greatly troubled to humble submission to God's calling on her life? And how can we do the same thing? You may not know this about me, but I'm a Presbyterian, so you have to have three points if you're a Presbyterian. <laughs> so we're going to have three points tonight. The first thing we're going to see is that Mary acknowledged her weakness. Then the second thing we're going to see is that Mary knew her Lord. And the third thing we're going to see is that Mary lifted her eyes. So how did Mary go from greatly troubled to, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word? Well, she acknowledged her weakness, she knew her Lord, and she lifted her eyes. So first, let's see that Mary acknowledged her weakness. You know, in her conversation with the angel, Mary does not beat around the bush, does she? I'm a virgin. You have just told me that I'm going to have a baby, but guess what? I'm a virgin. She is very honest about what the clear flaw in this plan is. And she says it loud and clear, I am a virgin. You know, later then in the book of Luke, then we read her song of praise, and Mary details several more things about herself that seem to make her unsuitable for her calling. Look with me a little bit further on if you still have your Bible open, um, or if you don't, open it back up again. Luke chapter 1 and then in verse 46. So this is her song of praise. Mary, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. In this song, Mary is unflinching 
about her own inadequacy. She calls herself a servant. She says that she's among the hungry. Twice she says she's of humble estate. Mary knew her own weaknesses, and she wasn't reticent about acknowledging them. You know, she acknowledged her weakness to herself. The truth about herself was something that just poured out of Mary's mouth. She goes to sing this song, and what comes out? Well, I'm a servant. I'm humble. You know, I'm hungry. She was not a woman who was in denial about her youth, her inexperience, her poverty, her lack of social connections. Mary wasn't even wasn't pretending to herself that she was someone that she wasn't. But she goes beyond that, right? She acknowledges her weakness to others as well. She told herself, she told the truth about herself to the angel. He's standing there in all his blazing glory. She looked him right in the face and she said, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. She told him that she wasn't a great candidate for God's calling. She also told the truth about herself to her cousin Elizabeth. Um, This song that she sings, right, she sings after she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth was older than Mary. Elizabeth was the wife of a priest. Elizabeth was one of the descendants of Aaron, that priestly family that God had established in the Old Testament. Elizabeth was also Mary's relative. You know, all of those things might be reason for her to hold back and pretend that she was a little bit tougher or more gifted than she really was and kind of to minimize her weaknesses or to hide them, but she doesn't. She resists the, the temptation to try to impress her older cousin, and instead she bursts out in this song of praise and admits her low condition to Elizabeth. And of course, here Mary is, 2,000 years later, admitting all of her weaknesses to all of us in this room. You know, Mary's admission is here in black and white for all of us to read. She was humble, she was hungry, she was a servant. And aren't we glad that she did, right? By hearing about Mary's weakness, by hearing her frank confession of all the things that made her inadequate, we're encouraged that if Christ could meet Mary in her weakness and be kind to her there, then he can meet us in our weakness too. Um, You don't know, well, some of you know my mother, but most of you in this room do not know my mother, but my mother is absolutely lovely, and she is genuinely interested in other people and thoughtfully cares for them, and she practices generous hospitality, and her home is beautiful, and she has this wonderful knack for decorating that sadly did not get passed down to me. But one thing that my mother often says to me is, let them see your dust. What she means is, You know, when you let people into your life, don't kill yourself making sure everything is perfect. It's okay to leave the dust bunnies under the couch. It's okay to show up without your makeup. It's okay to cry in public. You know, everyone has dust. Everyone in this room has dust. And letting other people see yours is a way to acknowledge that we're both human. We're both struggling under the weight of sin and life in a fallen world, and we're both seeking grace from the Lord. So whether you have chronic illness, or rambunctious children, or a habit of burning the baked goods, your dust may be an opening point to point others to Christ's grace. So let them see it. So Mary, to our benefit, acknowledged her weakness. She acknowledged it to herself. 
She acknowledged it to the people around her and to us 2,000 years later. But most importantly, Mary acknowledged her weakness to the Lord. You know, what Mary teaches us is that when we come before the Lord, we can be honest about what the Scripture calls our less presentable parts. We can come honestly before the Lord with our struggles. What do we call coming honestly before the Lord with our struggles? Well, we call it prayer. You know, the Apostle Paul also had weaknesses. If we think about the Apostle Paul, we probably think about how great he was, right? He planted churches throughout the known world. He was this great missionary. He was subject to all, you know, shipwrecks and stonings, and he wrote most of the New Testament. And yet, he had weaknesses. Second Corinthians, you'll remember, tells us that Paul has what he called a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what that was, thorn in the flesh was, but we know that it caused him distress. And what did Paul do? Well, he tells us, Paul tells us that he prayed three times. He actually says he pleaded with the Lord. So this was an earnest prayer. He asked the Lord to remove this thorn in the flesh. But the Lord's answer was not what Paul expected. Paul came to the Lord with his weakness, with his thorn in the flesh, asked the Lord to take it away, And what did the Lord say? Well, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. When Paul was weak, then he was strong because his weakness forced him to lean on Christ's strength. So then Paul can write, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, for us, too, being honest about our weaknesses, bringing them before the Lord, allows us to experience Christ's strength. Sisters, let's bring our weaknesses to Christ in prayer. That's where we're going to receive his grace. When illness prevents us from serving in ways that we would like, then when we come to the Lord and cry out to him and say, Lord, I want to do this thing, then we get to receive the comfort of Christ, and we get to see the members of his church go into action using their gifts for his glory. When our children are walking on a path of rebellion, then we learn to cling to Christ in prayer, and he opens opportunities for us to care for others in the church who are experiencing something similar. When our marriage has a difficult season, we discover in Christ the perfect bridegroom, and we grow in our sympathy for the single and widowed people in our congregation. When our attempts at service and hospitality fall short of the standards that we set for ourselves, we find unconditional welcome from Christ, and we watch him open up relationships with other imperfect and messy people. Like Mary, when we acknowledge that we are humble servants, then we have an opportunity to look to Christ for strength. This brings us to our second point. So first, Mary acknowledged her weakness. Then secondly, Mary knew her Lord. The Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane said, for, um, in the 19th century, long time ago, Scottish pastor, um, he said, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Machane knew that if we focus only on ourselves, we quickly become discouraged, right? We'll be overwhelmed by our sins and our failures and our weaknesses. And when we do that, then we cut ourselves off from our only source of hope, which is Christ. 
So as much as Mary's song contains honesty about her weakness, it's brimming over, it's chock full of words of praise and thanks and declarations of who God is. In that, psalm that, in that song that Mary sang, she knew and she proclaimed the Lord to be mighty, holy, merciful, strong, just, kind, and loving. And she trusted then that this God would only do what was right. Mary knew the unchanging truth about God, and so she put her faith in him when life took a surprising turn. Mary trusted that the Lord was both sovereign and good. Like Mary, we serve a God who is sovereign, one who does all things according to his will. You know, the, the angel, when the angel came to Mary, he says, greetings, you have found favor with God. Well, Mary didn't find favor with God because she deserved it. She didn't find favor with God because she was so perfect and gotten herself together, pulled herself up by her own bootstraps and, you know, cleaned out the dust bunnies from under her couch. Mary found favor with God, not because she deserved it, but because God decreed it. The calling that God placed on Mary's life was according to his purpose from eternity past. And the calling that the Lord places on your life today, those circumstances that have come into your life or have been there for a very long time, whatever circumstances or responsibilities he has given you, those are his sovereign doing. God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's in control. He rules and reigns in this universe. And that's comfort to us that the Lord is, is all-powerful. He's not just sovereign, sisters. God is also good. Mary found favor with God. Notice, interestingly, that, she, that, that it describes this scary, overwhelming, unexpected calling on Mary's life as favor. It was as scary and crazy as it sounded. It was the Lord's kindness to her. Sisters, Whatever circumstances the Lord has called you to, he did it out of his kindness, and he did it for your good. From eternity past, he determined to make you like his son, to make you holy, to make you lovely, to make you his own. From eternity past, the Lord has determined to be good to you. And so, like Mary, you can receive the circumstances of your life as God's goodness to you, and you can trust him there. You can trust him in things that we think of as good, holding babies and attending celebrations and seeing people come to faith and praying with your church family. Those are God's kindness to you. You have found favor with God. But the challenges of your life are also his goodness. Financial struggles, lack of time and energy, relational struggles, health problems, those too are designed by God to teach you, to lean upon him, to allow you to share in the sufferings of Christ, and to conform you to the image of Jesus. You have found favor with God. J.C. Ryle, another 19th century theologian, wrote, Faith never rests so calmly and peacefully 
as when it lays its head on the pillow of God's omnipotence. Do you want a faith that rests calmly and peacefully? Do you want to be able to accept, even rejoice in, the circumstances of your life? Do you want to be able to say with Mary, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word? Then, sisters, you must know your Lord. Let's apply this for a minute. How is it that we grow in our knowledge of the Lord? You know, Mary, this um, strange circumstance happens to her, and then she overflows in this praise. It's not that she suddenly said, oh, I better go study my Bible and figure out who this Lord is that has called me. No, she knew him already. And she was already acquainted with him and knew his word. So first, we must be women who study our Bibles. The truth that Mary knew wasn't something that she conjured up from her own head. You know, she, she knew it because she knew the scriptures. Sometime, if you have time, we don't have time tonight, but look at Hannah's song of praise in 1 Samuel 2. Um, in the Old Testament, Hannah, in the Old Testament, she sang a song of praise when the Lord gave her Samuel for whom she had prayed for. And if you look at that song of praise and you look at it next to Mary's song of praise in Luke 1, you'll see that the, the two passages are very similar. They're, they're parallel in a lot of ways. Um, other parts of Mary's song here mirror um, language that's used in some of the Old Testament psalms. Mary was obviously a student of the Bible. And it allowed her to know the character of the Lord. And then the other thing that we need to do is we need to be women who attend to the preaching of the word. You know, every Sunday, your pastor stands up in front of your church and he explains God's word to you. Dear sisters, the preaching of the word is for you. Every week, you have an opportunity to learn who your God is. Soak that in. You know, I said at the beginning that we each have days when we feel particularly under-equipped for what God has called us to do. And the truth is that the remedy for those days of crisis begins long before the crisis occurs. The remedy for hard days begins today, as we do everything that we can to know our Lord. And then when we do, then we'll find that these truths about his love and his mercy and his sovereignty and his wisdom and his salvation are ready in our hearts on the days when we want to despair. Dear sisters, for every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. All right, so we've seen that Mary acknowledged her weakness. Then we saw that Mary knew her Lord. And finally, we're going to see that Mary lifted her eyes. Mary knew that her story wasn't just her story, and she gained confidence when she was able to see her story in the broader context of the story of Christ's redemption of his people. Three times in this song, Mary points to generations both before and after herself. If you have that song open, look with me. Um, in verse 48, she says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Then in verse 50, she says, His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And then in verse 55, she talks about how the Lord spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Like Mary, sometimes we need to lift our eyes off of our own story 
off of our own circumstances, off of our own weakness and our own struggle, and we need to look and see what the Lord is doing and, ha- and continues to do and what he has done in the world. And sisters, what is God doing? Well, God is gathering his people from every tribe and tongue and nation to come and worship him. God is perfecting his people. He is washing them from every sin, and he is making them pure and spotless. God is exalting his son, and he is glorifying the name of Christ in the world. Sisters, we have a front row seat to the kingdom of God and the work of God's salvation in the people's hearts. And on the days when we feel inadequate and we feel overwhelmed by the circumstances in our lives, sometimes the best thing that we can do is lift our eyes like Mary and look for where Jesus is at work in the world. You know, Jesus had his circumstances radically changed as well. He was rich and he became poor. He was exalted and he became lowly. He was praised and he became despised. He was seated on a throne, and he entered the womb of a virgin. He was God, and he became man. And he did all of this so that we, weak and sinful, could be redeemed, could be given new hearts, could be filled with his spirit, and could be recreated in his image. And he did this not just for each of us, but for all of his people in every place throughout time. And this Jesus is the one who is at work by his spirit. He's at work in the house churches of China. He's at work among those imprisoned for their faith in North Korea. He's at work in those secret gatherings in Saudi Arabia and among the secular people in the Netherlands. And here, right here among us, Christ is at work. Sisters, Jesus has never failed one of his precious little ones, and he will never fail you. And sometimes, one of the best ways to remember that is to lift our eyes and to look around, to talk to another woman about how the Lord has been faithful to her, to look around in your local church and see each one that Christ has brought to himself, each one that Christ has changed, each one on whom he has put his praises and his prayers on their lips. Look around in this gathering and see the stories of each of these women to whom God has been faithful. Look around, pay attention to mission reports, to stories of God's work, to God's faithfulness to the persecuted church, to his faithfulness to build his kingdom in frontier missions. Look around and see what the Lord is doing. You know, on our own, we can be tempted to think that it's just about us and our little circumstances and our little struggles and our little weaknesses. But when we look up, we can see that it's all about Christ. Like Mary, we can be confident that our story fits into God's plan to show mercy to his people from generation to generation and then forevermore. Sisters, lift your eyes and trust him. We have an opportunity then, like Mary, to be honest about our inadequacies, to be confident in our Lord, and to be optimistic about the work that he is doing. And then, by his grace, trusting him, we can declare with Mary, 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Sisters, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you are the sovereign and good God. We confess to you our weaknesses now. Each woman in this room has something that you have given her for which she feels inadequate. And yet we know that you are the one who is good and who is kind in all of your ways. We pray that you would help us now, that we would grow in our knowledge of you and that we would trust you more and that we would be able, along with Mary, to accept the circumstances that you bring into our lives and to seek to serve you and trust you in them. Lord, we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, praise be to God for...